Welcome to Dense in the Darkness, the monthly podcast of the Northeast Collaborative. We empower pastors to lead and launch healthy churches in Northeast America. I'm your host, Tim Madera from WRGN, and I'm here with NEC's president, Dan Nichols. This month, we have Pastor Derek Sanford from Grace Church right here in Erie, Pennsylvania with us. Dan, why'd you want Derek to join us on today's podcast? Well, Tim, you asked the best questions. So I heard about Derek through one of my really good friends named Stephen Hay, and he became the director for uh, Grace Church's creative media ministry after pastoring in New York for about 10 years. And Stephen just would not shut up about this awesome visionary that he was getting to work for named Derek. And uh, I also heard about him through Converge, through LCBC. So really, I mean, he's one of these guys that you know you have to invite on your podcast because I just couldn't go anywhere without his name coming up. So uh, Derek is actually going to do a breakout session at the Northeast Leadership Summit, hashtag NLS22 on November 5th at Berean Bible in Green, New York. And it's going to be on redefining success in developing leaders. Derek, we are so pumped that you're teaming up with us. Well, Derek, he set the bar awfully high there. So why don't you give us uh, your introduction? Talk about how you came to Christ, your ministry journey, your family, and uh, we're looking forward to hearing. Wow, thanks. Yeah, thank you so much, Dan. That that's uh, that's awesome. I really uh, appreciate you guys and appreciate what you're doing. It's a it's a pleasure to be here. I I came to Christ, um, you know, really it's one of those messy journeys that started early in age, but uh, but really solidified during my college years. I, I spent a little time as an atheist and really kind of pursuing a bunch of different religions and trying to figure out where I fit in that whole thing, and and just came face to face with the resurrection and and couldn't couldn't get away from it, and uh, so it brought me to my knees and place of surrender to God. And it was about that same time I had a, you know, a calling to ministry. Uh, And uh, so we came back to Erie. Erie's my hometown. I'm actually pastoring uh, at the church that I went to youth group uh, at when I was Mm. in high school. And so I I have that whole deal going on, which is, you know, it's really incredible. I, I feel as much called to Erie as I feel called to my church. I mean, that God has placed me here. But uh, it's also weird when, you know, kids that you fought at the school dance uh, your junior year walk <laughs> in the back row and, and listen to your sermon. I'm like, oh, man, this is <laughs> I, I this is weird. But anyway, I have a wife, Kim. She's a high school sweetheart. We're both from here. And uh, so we're, again, both back home. She builds houses uh, for a living. She's a, a contractor. And so my wife has a very interesting story that is probably not the subject of this podcast, but somebody should be talking about it. Well, maybe we should make it the subject of the podcast. (laughs) It's very interesting. I could go there, but I I don't know that your listeners would appreciate it. And then uh, we have three kids. Uh, Caleb, our oldest, uh, is uh, married and uh, also living here in Erie. Our middle son, Chase, is at Penn State, uh, and uh, our daughter, Aiden, is a junior in high school. So, got a great family. That is uh, that that is something else. I would like to hear your wife's story because that's not something you hear very often. Now, ministry wise, I also really like to hear what you said about growing up in a church. Unfortunately, so many times we wind up with someone who grows up in the church. They go away to become a pastor, and then they pastor somewhere else. But to see someone to have that growing up in the church and then being planted where they grew up is not a common story. How'd that happen? 
Yeah, I, I mean, really, a lot of it does have to go back to my wife. As we got married very young, so we were in our twenties, and uh, she wanted to build houses, and so we, we, part of that was coming back to Erie so she could learn from her father, who was also a construction owner, nice. and um, so that brought us back to Erie. And uh, a job position opened up at my home church uh, pretty early on in our marriage. So I jumped on it and I, I am thankful for the time away from the church because I wasn't just the kid who I actually worked at another church in the meantime. So I wasn't just the kid, you know, that everybody remembers from from youth ministry. I had a little bit of experience in there, which I think helped me. But, uh, you know, I'm I'm. Grace, the, the church that I serve at is a very old church. Uh, we like to say we're a very old church that doesn't act our age. So uh, <laughs> eight, eight, 1895 uh, was when our church started as the Swedish Baptist Church, where you converge folks, you know, here. And uh, Swedish Baptist Church in downtown Erie. And now we're a, a multi-site church uh, in the suburbs that's kind of re-engaging with the city at this stage in our, uh, in our journey. But uh, Grace has gone through a just an incredible growth journey over the years. And it's been really cool to be a part of it. I, I was a youth pastor for a while. I was an executive pastor for a while. I've been the lead pastor here since 2010. Wow. The uh, age of that church, given your church, you run for its money, huh, Dan? Yeah. Uh, we got a beat though. Ours started in 1801 Whoa. when Thomas Jefferson was president. So close, Derek, <laughs> close. Listen, I can't measure up to that. That's that's impressive. <laughs> now, seeing that happen, though, seeing a church with that type of longevity, uh, it, it means that there's a lot of changes that happened over the years, and it's a bit of a struggle sometimes. But I think it's encouraging for pastors who are pastors of churches that have been around for a while to know that it's not just the new churches. It's not just the church plants. It's the churches that maybe need a little revitalization that that can still succeed and still grow and still minister, right? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I'm, I'm super passionate about just the long, the long view for churches and for pastors. Um, obviously my own story is part of that, but you know, my predecessor was here for 32 years before me. Uh, I've been here for almost 30 years now uh, at the church. And so we, we've just had a couple of really long runs in a row and to see the stability and the health and the growth that that, that, that has brought to the church uh, has been really incredible. So yeah, I'm a, I'm a big believer in the long view. So with that longevity, Derek, there's so many people, as you know, that are just, they just hate the church. Like they've gone through bad experiences. They're like, forget this. So why have you not jumped on that bandwagon? Like why, why do you still love the church and why are you still committing your life to the church? I've just seen the, the, the power of Jesus express itself so much in the context of the church. I can't, I can't get away from it. I mean, like, you know, the long view here is I've seen so many marriages restored. I've seen so many addictions broken. I've seen so many lives changed by the gospel that mm. it's just, I've had a front row seat to see the the power and potential of the church. And again, we've screwed plenty up along the way. My, my church and the church, you know, the bigger church. And so I think people get, can, you know, can get angsty about, about the church from time to time, but like it or not, the church is the bride of Christ. The church is the means and the message by which Jesus gave the, the world, the eternal hope of the gospel. And so, you know, I, I just, I, and I, I think in these recent years, we've just seen, I, I just believe that the church has answers that the world's looking for. Like, mm. you know, we've seen yes. crippling anxiety rock, rock our society. We've seen loneliness, the effects of loneliness rocking our society. We've seen people seeking meaning and purpose from, you know, from their jobs and not getting it. And the great resignation is that, like all these things. And I'm just going, the, the answer is Jesus and we have it, you know? And so I'm super passionate about the church. 
And I share that with people too. Like I, I'll admit, I'll be like, yeah, absolutely. The church is flawed and broken. And you know, it, it's called the bride of Christ. Sometimes she's ugly, right? She doesn't, she doesn't look pretty all the time, but what are you going to run to that yeah. isn't messy? What are you going to run to that is, doesn't have issues or brokenness in it? Right? Like, I don't know. I, I, I agree with you. Yeah. I'll, th- I'll throw out a research. I've been reading, uh, John Dixon has a book out. He's the guy that wrote Humilitas. I don't know if you know John Dixon, but he, he wrote a new, uh, history church history kind of book called, uh, bullies and saints. And I can't recommend it enough, but part of his whole thing is he's saying, um, he, he wants to take a very honest look at church history, but he's also really highlighting some of the redemptive uh, elements of the history of the church. And he does this great exercise at the, in the, uh, as part of his book. Um, he sits down with a cello. He's not a cellist and tries to play like a great Bach work or something like that. And, <laughs> and he just really mangles it, you know, and, and he plays and he's like, I'm giving it my best effort, but I, you know, it's never going to be as good as the original. And, you know, his point is as much as we mess this thing up and have messed it up, man, if you can look to Jesus, uh, and, and as flawed and as, you know, as flawed as we are, uh, man, fix your eyes on Jesus. He's worth it. Mm, amen. Now, as you've been through this time of growth in your church, because it wasn't always a three campus church, what were some of the wins that you saw as you were going through that you said, this is what's making this grow. This is what's, what's happening here. Yeah, so, I mean, I, I really do believe that you know, that our reputation in the community, that we, we became uh, uh, known as a church that will serve. So we are the, the servants of our community. We started, you know, nonprofits in our community. We have a ministry called Serviri that, that really just tries to mobilize volunteers to bless our community. Um, but this idea of volunteerism is kind of one of our calling cards as a church. Uh, I, I've written a book about it. I think we're going to talk a little bit about it at some point. But, you know, that really became part of our DNA. And I, I like to call it the anti-celebrity pastor uh, way of, of growing a church uh, Love because that. It, it's not built around one person. It's built around a whole bunch of people. And, and when we started to realize that, you know, that our greatest asset, our greatest resource was our people uh, in ter- other than the Holy spirit and, and, you know, the, the mission of Jesus, that our greatest asset was our people. Um, that they have connections that we don't have, that they have gifts, gifts and skills that I'll never have. And that if we could fully leverage our people in, in ministry, the ministry God's called them to, man, that's a, that's a whole different way of that. That really most modern churches, unfortunately are doing it. And, and, and it's uh, really not the example that Christ set for us. I mean, Matthew 20 talks about, I did not come to be served, yeah. but to serve. And that's what we're called to as believers as well. Right. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, like I said, I think a lot of churches get caught up, big churches and small churches for different reasons. Um, you know, big churches kind of get caught up in the the marketing component of it. And if we can get that one great preacher in that's going to, you know, impact the world, then, then we'll build it around that. And small churches, sometimes out of necessity, you know, there's one pastor who's just like grinding every day and, and nobody's doing anything. So it's built around him, not because he's a celebrity, but because he's it. And, and I think both, um, both ways are not the way of not, not the way Jesus envisioned it. Mm. So what do you see other than service as the, the key then to what you're doing? Or is that as far as you're concerned, the key? Yeah, I mean, I really, I really do think that that's a that's a huge component of it. Like I said, I I, I think that as we started 
to to do our church differently that way. And we really opened up our staff. Um, our staff is not just paid people. Our staff is a, a bunch of volunteer people. And we removed the lid. We said we want volunteers to to kind of rise to any level of our of our church in leadership that they that they can or, or that they want to. So we have a, a situation where we've got, you know, a volunteer person overseeing our paid staff. Wow. Uh, so he's, de- he's determining their raises, their vacation days their because that's what he's good at. That's what he's gifted at. And, and he's a leader and he's also, you know, running a, uh, running a local business, but that's what he does on our staff. He oversees our pastoral staff. And so, you know, we do, we just tried to remove all the barriers for volunteers to just rise to any level that they wanted to rise to. Now, you alluded to your book, The Untapped Church, as we started, and it was the description of what's going on in your church right now with what you just described, and that's putting volunteers well equipping them really but also not just equipping them but giving them the responsibility a big responsibility yeah exactly and and you know i think a lot of churches a lot of nonprofits uh work with volunteers i mean volunteers are the lifeblood yeah. of every church really if we're honest um the the thing that makes what what we did slightly different than that is that we really tried to give um volunteer leaders high capacity volunteer leaders just kind of the keys to the, the keys to the church and just saying, Hey, um, you know, it, this is not just like a volunteer effort where our paid staff are overseeing our volunteer staff. And, and we're trying to make sure that we have volunteers doing everything. Uh, but we said we want volunteers leading everything. And, and so, um, you know, again, we just tried to, to tap into those, that untapped resource. Untapped means available, but not used. And I'm just convinced that there's these folks in every church that are available, uh, but they just haven't been tapped yet. So how has that played out through this pandemic? Because, you know, I feel like so much is getting accelerated and exacerbated in this crunch time of the last two years. So have you found it to be like weathering the storm? Well, what are the challenges? How has it played into it? I'd love to to hear more about that. Yeah. I mean, I think we, you know, we've had the same challenges everybody else has had. We, we have a mutual friend, Dan Nold. Dan Nold has talked about, you know, he's one the of man. the things, yeah, he's awesome. One of the things the pandemic has done is, you know, it's identified in our churches, you know, who are the fans in the stands and who are the players on the field. And it kind of like removed the, the fandom from the fans and, and got us down to the players. And, uh, you know, and I, you know, we felt the divisions that, that every church felt in terms of, you know, the collision of COVID and, and racial equality issues and the politics of the day and all the stuff. And, you know, it caused us to, to rethink our, our structures. And I think everybody's kind of going through all of that and saying, what does digital ministry look like and all that? What I would say is in terms of the volunteer piece, you know, I feel like our, uh, our high capacity volunteers weathered COVID they hung in there because there was, there was such buy-in, there was such ownership um, on the front end, Mm -hmm. on the front end that to be honest with you, uh, our volunteer staff in some ways weathered COVID better than our paid staff. Um, Our paid staff who had options to either get another job or to take on side gigs or whatever, you know, whatever they, they chose to do that our volunteer staff was, was just rock solid. And so, you know, but one of the things I quote in the book is this book called Anti-Fragile that, that you know, that, that organizations yes. can become anti-fragile. And I just feel like it, this is one of those 
it was kind of accidental. I didn't know this going in, but like <laughs> one of the things that's made our church kind of anti-fragile when it comes to things, something like COVID is that we had on the front end already built in this, this deep bench and this thing that actually makes us stronger during times of struggle versus getting weaker. So these people were deeply invested already and therefore wanted to see it continue no matter what was happening around them. Now, one issue that can arise with this, and I don't know, maybe you address it in the book, I didn't get to read the whole thing, but is that people can wind up taking ownership in a bad way of that. How do you keep that from happening? And I see Dan laughing because he knows exactly what I mean, right? Oh, I don't, I don't know. I don't know what you're talking about, Tim. I've never, ever seen that happen before. <laughs> you know, I, I, I think just to give people a framework because it's the framework people have, I, I think because we were so diligent and are so diligent about treating our volunteer staff like we treat our paid staff, that that we handle it exactly the same way. So, so you deal with it slowly in a check-in, for example, that we have built into our process. Uh, and if it gets out of control, that somebody's agenda is kind of driving their personal agenda is somehow driving their ministry. Mm. We, we would deal with it just like we would deal with a paid staff. So we we've um, you know, I think part of that buy-in is that they're, they're a part of every single thing that we do for our staff. They're part of our staff meetings. They have a office at the church that they can pop in on. They have an email address. We've changed our, our meeting structure to allow them to attend all the meetings that they need to attend. And so it, it, it keeps kind of those rogue, you know, those rogue uh, ideas <laughs> at bay in the same way you would with a paid staff. And again, it doesn't mean we're immune to it because we certainly have that. Um, but again, I feel like the, the structure that we've built allows us to deal with it. Mm. Correct me if I'm wrong, but what it sounds like is when you're attracting, what you win them with is what you keep you them with. Too. That's right. right? What yeah. you win them to. So, so you are building a culture and again, culture is strategy for breakfast. It's like, when the culture is there, what you're drawing them toward will even naturally uh, fight against that rogue mentality. I remember Jeff Vanderstel talking about that with uh, their decentralized, you know, church planting. And people are like, well, how do you keep from, you know, heresy and all these things? He's like, look, when you put gospel DNA in the DNA, it's like a physical human body. It fights the infections off. And I think that's what you're talking about just from a leadership culture. Like, we're about the right things. Our hearts beat for the right things. We start with why. And if you're drawn into that, then anything that doesn't fit there, it's just going to naturally not going to, not going to work out. So, right? so well said, Dan, I have nothing to add that seriously. That's exactly what you said um, is, is true. And so there is a self, there is a self uh, weeding process, just like there's a self selection process on the front end. The commitment level is so high and the ask is honest and direct when we when we ask somebody to jump on the team, they know exactly what they're getting into. And and you know, I, I feel like we try to weed I mean, we do basically job interviews. I mean, we try to weed that mm. out on the front end uh, to understand if somebody's coming in with a with a chip on their shoulder or something to, you know, that they're trying to do from their old church that they're ticked off about and they're bringing to our church, you know, something like that. Now I could also, for some of our listeners, I, I could, I could think of some that may be listening to you and going, okay, that's all fine and good for a mega church pastor, right? You've got multiple campuses, you've got all this paid staff, da, da, da. Like, what about me in my context, either with a small church or no staff? Like I'm the only pastor, like talk to us about that. Like how can 
we try to infuse this type of thinking at any church size and with any type of, um, you know, staffing level that we may or may not have? Yeah, it's a great question, Dan. And I, I really do, I, I really do resonate with it because I've been at different size churches. I work with pastors from different size churches all the time. And so I, I understand that struggle and the wrestle. Here's my, here's my direct answer is part of it is believing that it can happen. <laughs> uh, yes. Understanding that there, and literally understanding that there's one person out there in your congregation who could really, really help you and, yes. and who could help the cause of your church. And I really think this, and I do talk about this a bit in the book, but I, I really do think that the first step for any pastor is really to determine your cornerstone calling to determine what is it that God has called me to do that only I can do. And, and not that it means that you're not going to do the rest of the stuff, but it means it begins to give you clarity about what, now what can I pray for in terms of who could come alongside me and be helpful to me? And I, you know, I see a lot of small church pastors specifically going, I've been praying for five years for a youth pastor and God, God hasn't brought a youth pastor and I need a youth pastor. And, and that's going to be the answer for me. The answer actually may be for you to continue doing the youth ministry as you've done. And God may bring you somebody else that you're not expecting. There may be yeah. somebody else sitting there that's like a top notch sermon researcher <laughs> that could shave 10 hours off of your week yeah. by researching for your sermon. And it's going to free you to do the youth ministry, which God may want you to be doing for this next season of ministry for a reason. Mm. But, but because we get so locked into, I need this person in this role, it's coming down to that cornerstone calling and going, what can only I do? And they begin to fill in the gaps, maybe just with one person. But I think every church has at least one that could come alongside and be part of that high capacity role. So you said cornerstone calling for you, Derek, what's your cornerstone calling? Yeah, I have three. I, I feel a responsibility for the vision of the church. Uh, I feel a responsibility for the the teaching, the being the main teaching voice of our church. And I feel a responsibility to be training up our key leaders uh, in our church. So I'm, I'm the keeper of the vision. I teach uh, and the, uh, I'm the main teaching pastor. And I believe that I have a leadership training, uh, discipleship training role uh, with the key leaders of our church. And um, those are my three. And if I'm faithful to those three, I, I really believe that part of my job is to give everything else away. So you don't get mm. into the minutia of the financing. You don't get in the minutia of the children's program, you don't, other than setting the vision. Yeah. If I did, we'd be in deep trouble. But yes, that is, that is true. <laughs> that is true. Uh, yeah. And I, and I do think, you know, for some, and for me too, I mean, part of, uh, part of early on when we were doing this, like you do have to be cured of your control freak tendencies. And I think a lot of pastors are, are have that, you know, that we, we like to control things. We like to be in control. And, you know, part of it is a, a is a, is a character issue of giving that mentality up. Um, but yeah, those are my, those are my three. I, I don't resonate with the control freak thing at all. Yeah. <laughs> uh, what encouragement can you share to pastors and ministry leaders that are in the thick of it now? They're, they are seeing everything that's going on. They're trying to regroup now. What encouragement can you give them? Yeah, I, I think a, a couple of things. You know, I, I think I would just encourage pastors, um, you know, to be faithful to your calling. Uh, I think there's so much that so much encouragement that comes from returning often to what God has called us to do. 
Um, I like everybody else in the last couple of years, really for the first time in this long, long run that I've had felt like giving up. Um, mm. I, I don't remember that thought ever coming into my mind before COVID. And I know that if I'm there, there's a bunch of other people there too, because I, 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 I get it. And so I think returning to your calling, I think, um, man, one of the things that's strangely been encouraging to me, uh, again, in this post COVID landscape is that I think one of the things that happened during COVID is that there was a clarification of worldviews. And I think the Christian worldview for, for many was clarified. And I think at least for me, I saw like front row seat to the secular worldview vision for our world. And the incur- here's, here's what's encouraging about that. I feel like the secular worldview is collapsing. Mm. Um, I feel like people are realizing that this whole, like this cause, you know, that I've put all of my effort into, or this, you know, uh, unencumbered individualistic, you know, approach to life that says, nobody can tell me what to do. I don't want any commitments. I don't want any, I want safe spaces and all that. To me, if you ask those people, how's it going for you? They're rocked with anxiety. They're depressed. I think that yeah. the, the system is collapsing on itself and I think we're poised with the answer. And uh, I don't know, that's oddly been encouraging to me. <laughs> it, it is encouraging because unfortunately, oftentimes we as believers, even as Christian leaders can get caught in the system yeah. and, and we need to, we need to say, no, we're not, a, we, we're a different system. We're a different right. and make a difference in that as well. That's, that's a good word. I, I, I really appreciate you saying return to your calling figure out what your calling is first and then return to it uh because that i think is is what's going to be the most encouraging to people you know i'll just share real briefly for me in this season derek thank you for your vulnerability just of sharing that you're struggling (laughs) with continuing on just like everyone else because i think a lot of times pastors of small churches especially in the northeast they'll look at pastors that have larger ministries and think, Oh, they don't have the same struggles that I do. And it's like, I think we're all on the same, you know, it's the same journey. It's just in different ways. Right. And so for me, I I've been really wrestling with God about, okay, one one day. So I'm, I, uh, Tim and I come from different denominational backgrounds. I come from more of a Baptistic. So what I'm about to tell you will sound more like Tim's Pentecostal background. Wow. But I just, okay. I just felt like God impressing upon me. All right. Not speaking audibly. Cause I don't want to get canceled on Twitter, but it was okay. a, it was like this thing of you let me take care of you. You take care of your wife and your kids. I'll take care of the church. I told my wife this a few weeks ago. It was, it was like so clear. Mm. Let me take care of you. You take care of your wife and your kids. I'll take care of my church. And I am not doing a good job of listening to that, but it was so clear. And I just, I love that you said that, like return to that, like, what are the basics? What are the essentials? And even at at Northeast Leadership Summit, we're talking about redefining success. Like we want to come back to the basics. And I think this season more than ever, we need to do that together. Yeah. Yeah. Amen. The scripture tells it like this. It says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and everything else takes care of itself. All right. That's my version of it. But I I taught this to my girls as they were growing up because they're like, you know, where, where am I going to go to college? What am I going to study? What am I? I look, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness 
and the rest will take care of itself. All these other things will be added to you. Good word there, Dan. Man, that's encouraging. Well, Derek, how can we encourage you in prayer? What can we pray for for you, your ministry, and your family? Yeah, I thank you for that. That's that's a that's a beautiful offer. I think that um, you know I, I would I would just agree with uh, Dan's comment here of just uh, understanding how to lead uh, my family well right now. I and I think you know I, I've never believed in balance necessarily work life balance, but but more rhythms. I think that Jesus taught rhythms and to be diligent about the rhythms because I feel like the rhythms of of work and rest have taken on a weird. Uh, a weird new uh, reality. And uh, so yeah. just, just that rhythm with family and, and being really diligent about that would be, would be awesome. Mm. That's, that's another good word there. The uh, idea of the rhythm as opposed to the balance, because we do talk a lot about the balance, but it can be uh, more integrated than that. If you do it as a rhythm, can't it? Yeah, that's right. And it's sustainable. Yeah, exactly. So, oh, such good words. And I hope that you have benefited from something that we have talked about on the podcast today. And of course, all the information that we've talked about, including Derek's book called Untapped Church, will be in the show notes. So we encourage you to share that. And then, of course, uh, take a look at the Northeast Leadership Summit. That's hashtag NLS22 coming up on November 5th at Berean Bible Church in Green, New York. Derek going to be leading one of the break So uh, we look forward to sharing all that information with you on the website as well as in the show notes. And as always, NEC here to help empower pastors to lead and launch healthy churches in Northeast America. 